I tried so hard and got so far But in the end it doesn't even matter I had to fall to lose it all In the end it doesn't even matter I put my trust in your hope Pushed as far as I can go for all this. Oh, hi. Hello. Welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. Hey, everybody, I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief. You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. But this is the second time I've done this introduction today. Turns out, it turns out, you do have to push the go live button at the top of YouTube. I'll be honest, I didn't know. I did not know for sure. I thought sometimes if I just pushed connect from the the XSplit streaming, that that might be enough. I thought maybe I was live at that point. We have confirmation. You do have to push go live if you want to start a stream. Here we are. Exciting X-Men Day, Comics Day. A lot of people were angry, furious. So many people. You know how many people? I can tell you exactly how many people. 20,000 subscribers on the Comic Book Herald YouTube channel. I took the holidays off. That was enough to push me over. I think the less I do and the less frequently I'm here, the more likely the CBH YouTube channel is to hit a milestone. <laughs> I think I think that's the secret. Uh, and yet here I am streaming again this week. Here I am posting a video up today. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? A video on the Comic Book Herald YouTube channel, all you have to do is go over there. Please like, subscribe, share, comment, all that fun stuff so other people can find it. But it is the road to the fall of the House of X. Fall of the House of X number one came out this week. We're going to talk about that one. I do have a road to video on the channel that you can check as well. It is not Kraken Krakoa number 217. It is concluding Krakoa. Ooh, I got to work on that one. Concluding Concluding, oh boy, oh boy, concluding Krakoa, number one. Will I be doing it weekly? We'll see. Tell a lot of friends. Tell a lot of friends, and if I feel like the comics are interesting and it's worth my while, then we will do it. We'll do it weekly. I'm definitely doing one next week for Rise of the Powers of, of X, and by definitely, um, I mean, I might. I might do it. <laughs> we'll see. But I'm probably going to want to do a road to on that one. I got to jump into our sponsor right away. I got to jump into our sponsor right away, not because I'm thirsty, but because I want to show you guys something. Check this out. Look at, the, if you're just listening, you're missing out. If you're in the live stream, thank you for being here. Dave Stinney strikes again. This was a gift from Charlotte, my co-host on My Marvelous Year. One of my favorite gifts of all time. This made me smile so hard. I laughed out loud just getting that. Dave Stinney strikes again. You know who struck again? You know, and it is brand new. This is, this is my first sip out of it. So thank you to our sponsor today, my incredible co-host, Charlotte, over on My Marvelous Year. Blew my mind. Blew my mind with that gift. But Dave Stinney Strikes Again obviously has happened throughout the Krakow era as I've been getting predictions correct constantly as far as where X-Men comics are going. I think we all here would agree that I have uh, never missed. <laughs> never been wrong. Gotten every prediction correct. I have hit a handful, and I felt good about that. Um, I will not take credit for this one. I will not take credit for this one because you all, you all got to this one first. I don't know who exactly first in the comments, but we were spitting, we were spitting Dominion theories. And definitely the chat here 
on the CBA live stream, the little community here, hit who the Dominion was before anybody, I think. Nailed it here in the comments first. When it happened, it was still super exciting, and I loved it, but I was like, oh, that's cool. The community settled on this as the probably the leading Dominion candidate in a previous CBH live stream. So I'm not saying it yet. The spoilers will follow for both the several weeks old now Immortal X-Men and a little bit for Fall of the House of the Powers of X number one, which came out yesterday. Okay, so if you don't want to be spoiled, go read those comics. We will be talking about them in detail. We're going to talk about Immortal first because that's a few weeks old and obviously we got to do there before we get into the fall. Here's a thought starter though. Here's a little thought starter for the chat folks hanging out on the live stream. Thanks for being here. Again, you can support my side over at compacherald.com. You can subscribe. Be one of 20,000, 20,000 individuals. And I didn't have to do it by gaming the algorithm. I didn't have to do it with rage bait. I didn't have to do it by faking culture war grievance. I got here talking basketball, but mostly talking X-Men, mostly talking X-Men. Um, and, uh, and thank you all for being here. It's very fun to, to be doing. It's fun, but it's also a little bit, I, honestly, it's not that bittersweet. <laughs> I'm pretty ready, you know, for this era to end. Uh, but there's, you know, there's a bittersweetness to like, you know, I'm, I'm not saying cracking Krakoa, I'm saying concluding Krakoa, but I'm, I'm kind of glad to have like a big event and some momentum behind it, honestly. And, and to really dig in like one more time. Like I'm ready, I'm I'm ready to dig in one more time. One more time. Ooh, I wanna celebrate. Right? Daft Punk, you ever heard of them? Uh, you kids probably probably haven't. 2013 was the last time they peaked. Um, man, you were you were barely here, probably, eleven years ago. Good grief. Uh, all right. Thought starter. What's the best case for the fall of the House of X? What is the best case? for the fall of the House of X. Like, what do you want from this book? Something to think about today. Something to think about today. Because I feel like with Rise of the Powers of Ten, it's very clear. I know what I want out of Rise of the Powers of Ten, and I'm confident it will be delivered because it's in the hands of Kieran Gillen and R.B. Silva, and then there's also the X-Men Forever spinoff, promising to answer lots of big House Powers mysteries, Gillen obviously has been playing with the Dominion mystery, with the sinisters of it all, with Jean Grey and the Phoenix. All these things have been happening in the Karen Gillen written book in Immortal X-Men. So I'm like, I know what's coming in Rise of the Powers of, of Ten in the sense of, I don't know the answers. I mean, I do because I'm Dave Stinney, but I don't know the answers, but I know what I'm hoping for. And I know why I'm incredibly excited for that book. And I am. I, I kind of can't wait to read Rise of the Powers of X and uh, and X-Men Forever. But with House, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What do you want to see? I'm curious. We'll talk about that maybe as we talk about the book. Okay, let's talk Immortal X-Men first. Uh, get in your questions. Get in your comments here in the chat. Uh, all the usual you know, uh, caveats apply. Super chat is open and available. Thank you for your support to those who do so. You can back me over on patreon.com slash if you are so inclined otherwise. And, you know, be nice. Be polite to those around you. That's all we ask. That's all we ask here at CBH. Kieran Gillen stuck that Immortal X-Men landing so hard. So hard. We got so lucky. Look, let's look at this big picture. Did a, I, was, I, was a little, 
I was Chris Collinsworth in there for a second. Let's, let's look at this big picture here, Mike. We got we got a big Kieran Gillen. Okay, we're done with that. Got so lucky with Kieran Gillen and Al Ewing stepping in post Hickman. Like the original. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with the truth. It's gonna hurt. Okay, but it's time. It's time for this. The original Dawn of X draft class was not great. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm the first one to report this. Uh, five years later, we're here at concluding Krakoa. I think we can look back and very safely say the original Dawn of X draft class was like not that good. <laughs> a lot, a lot of reasonable, solid players you want on your roster, but we're talking like six through eighth men. Okay. Um, maybe a role player in the starting five. I think we can get there with a few performances. And Kurokoa drew out the best from some of the original Dawn of X, you know, draft class, right? Jerry Duggan drew out some of his best Marvel Comics work. Uh, Teeny Howard drew out some of her best Marvel Comics work. I think in particular, I, I really like the X of Swords, uh, Ten of Swords, main issues. Okay. Um, but like, it's far enough in the rear view that we can pretty decidedly say the Dawn of X was a very weak draft class. It actually was. I think the excitement and the inspiration and just the hype, like like House and Powers was that damn good, was that damn good that it kind of convinced us that that draft class could win a title. You know, like House and Powers were that damn good that we were all sitting there going, yeah, this draft class can win a title. We were Bulls fans circa 2021 looking at a healthy Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine saying, I think we're the best team in the East. <laughs> okay. We were deluding ourselves. And, uh, and you know what the reality we have to face with all that is? The reality we have to face with all that. Hickman was not a great GM. Hickman, head of X, did not do a very good job as general manager in regards to selection of talent. It happens. It happens. Michael Jordan is a terrible sports owner. He's still Michael Jordan. He's still Michael Jordan. I got to be careful here because he's going to hear what I said. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to take that personally. He's going to take that real personally. I do not want MJ on my head. But Michael Jordan is a terrible sports owner, famously, right? Not everyone is great at all things. I don't know how much Hickman as the head of X was actually responsible for drafting the Dawn of X draft class um, versus Jordan D. White, the editor. Typically, that would that would be the editor's role. Um, so is calling him a poor GM actually incredibly off base? It might be. It might be. If you look at the selection of talent that is being brought into the Hickman-owned comics enterprise slash money laundering scheme known as Three Moons, Three Worlds, off the charts, uh, uh, great eyes between Hickman, Mike Huddleston, and Mike Del Mundo in terms of the talent they're bringing in there, okay? And again, this is not like some sort of egregious attempt at a slam, Okay, on on the draft class. But I think, like, again, solid, reasonable creators, superstars, not seeing it, not seeing it. And the reason I bring that up, the reason I bring that up is one, because one of those those draft picks, Jerry Duggan, is writing Fall of the House of X number one. Right. Like like took on a very central role in the X office post Hickman. But I actually bring it up to celebrate something and I bring it up to celebrate Post-Hickman Exodus, really before, but but post-Hickman Exodus, you get Al Ewing, Vita Ayala, Roderick on New Mutants, Victor Laval on Sabretooth, and then Kieran Gillen. And that's a damn fine use of free agency and cap space. 
okay? That is a damn fine use of getting in superstar talent. And we got lucky. We got so lucky with Gillen and Ewing in particular stepping in post-Hickman. like post Hickman. Do you know how badly this could have gone? <laughs> this Krakoa era could have been dead, what, two and a half years ago? In its infancy, practically? You know, instead, we got extended great runs from Kieran Gillen and Al Ewing with, and that allowed for then, fantastic miniseries from Victor Laval, from Dennis Camp stepping in here in the fall of X, and from whatever's going to come from Rise of Powers of X and X-Men Forever. So, like, to that, I tip my cap. I tip my new Bulls cap, and I say, fantastic use of free agency, fantastic use of salvaging things, and credit to Gillen and Ewing, too, because it's, you know, like, superstar names can come into things and, and not necessarily deliver. And that is not a problem these creators have had. The run Gillen has been on since he quote-unquote left Marvel the first go, is insanely good. I would actually say it's underrated. Gillen quote-unquote leaves Marvel in 2015. Now, this is quote-unquote because he stops writing Marvel superhero comics for a minute, but he immediately then takes on and provides the best Darth Vader run of all time. <laughs> okay, so did, did Star Wars, you know, which are Marvel published comics for three years. So Leaves Marvel is, is you know, fuddling the truth. That's it's a common saying here in the Midwest. We fuddle about the truth. You, you hear it all the time here outside of Chicago. Trust me. Trust me. Um, but so, quote unquote, he leaves Marvel. He's producing Wicked and Divine with Jamie McKelvey, a fantastic, one of my favorite comics of all time. Uh, wasn't originally, but I read it again. It is a fantastic indie uh, image book that you all should check out. The solo work during this time period is just like increasingly great. You get Die in there. You get Peter Cannon Thunderbolts, which is like five of the best issues of comics you're going to read. You get uh, Once in Future with Dan Mora. Just so much good stuff from Gillen. And then he comes back to Marvel to do proper superhero comics in 2021. Immediately writes the best Eternals run of all time. Shouts to Jack Kirby. Okay. Then steps in, writes a great Marvel event in Judgment Day, and then writes Immortal X-Men, one of the best X-Men runs of this entire era. Gillen is on a tear, an absolute tear. Listen, like, I don't I don't have, like, a power rankings going for individual creators, but there are not a lot of individuals that I trust more at this point with, like, both, you know, big mass market licensed stuff and just their own unique, innate sense of storytelling and their own, you know, creator-owned work. Like, Karen Gillen's at the top of the pile, at the top of the heap. And that was not an opinion I held at the end of 2015, which would have marked the end of, like, kind of their first go with Marvel. But now, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. So, credit where it's due. Credit where it's due. Uh, it was a tremendous salvage job. It was great. Immortal X-Men number 18, man, it stuck that landing hard. <laughs> So hard. That was fantastic. That was fantastic. You have the build of what appears to be something that's been in the works for a long time, which is Mother Righteous using Jean Grey in the white hot room, the powers of the Phoenix, to magic her way to Dominion status. You know, basically since the start of Immortal X-Men, 
written by Gillen. We've had a mad quest by all the Sinisters to try to get to Dominion status first. And you got Sins of Sinister at the start of 2023 telling us that it was not an OG Red Diamond Sinister who got there first. It was, in fact, one of the others. So we have Dr. Stasis, who's pretty clearly just, like, not going to be it. He's working with Orcus. Orbis Stellaris, this weird old cosmic dude who Al Ewing played with for a minute. And then Mother Righteous. Certainly seemed like the betting favorites. Had all this uh, you know, kind of mystery about them in addition to the most British of accents. And, uh, and Mother Righteous makes her play in Immortal X-Men number 18. She does her magic. She does a classic, a classic Kieran Gillen, Al Ewing on Loki bit about the power of story, okay, and how everything's a story, and I'm telling my own story about becoming a Dominion only to find that there is, in fact, there was among them another sinister, another sinister hiding in the wings, the original, the OG Nathaniel Essex, the king of sinisters who set up these four to get the data on their attempts at dominionhood to then steal that from them so that he could become the dominion himself and conquer the machine AI God that he otherwise did not see an out for. Brilliant, brilliant planning, perfect ending. Oh, I loved it. Oh, I loved it so much. Mortal X-Men number 18 made me incredibly happy having the OG Nathaniel Essex as the Dominion. So you do have a Sinister there. It's not some left-field curveball like Age of X-Men, Nate Gray. It would have been ridiculous. It's not Legion. He's just cosplaying his little cute Nightcrawler bamf. Uh, it's not a curveball at all. It's a Sinister, but it's not the one we thought. But it's not the one we thought. Brilliant, brilliant gambit. Oh, I loved it so much. Made me incredibly happy. Uh, Gillen nailed it. Mortal X-Men nailed it. Sinister is a Dominion. What do we do with that? What now? I now I need to read Rise of the Powers of Ten to see what what is King Sinister's deal? How does this work? How does anyone get out of this? Right? Because the whole thing with Dominions is that there are these entities, you know, existing beyond space and time and that like even a Moira lifeline reset will not undo them and that they've always been there so that throughout every Moira lifeline as she attempted dominionhood there's actually now uh, a king sinister there or something like that um or something like that uh that was a little <laughs> minor minor gbv refrain anyway it's awesome. I love it. I need to read more. I'm so excited about where this is going. I'm seeing here from the Neurotic Mancer in the comments, all my hope lies with Gillen for giving this era a good ending. Yeah, and that's a great place to put your hope. That's what's exciting right now, right? For the next five, six months, that's what's exciting right now is all hope lies with Gillen is actually a really good place to be. It's actually a, a, a like almost the best place to be honestly, as an X-Men fan. Um, all We've got Gillen, Rise of the Powers of Ten, and X-Men Forever. We've got Al Ewing, Resurrection of Magneto. We're in very good hands. We're in very good hands with, like, the big delivery, okay? All right, getting your questions, getting your thoughts. I'm going to take a sip from my very special water bottle, Dave's and he strikes again. Let's see. Neurotic Mancer says, What a disappointing start to the end with fall of the house of x duggan doesn't have the poetry politics or point to pull this off the bones of the story are good but every little thing is off what do y'all think what do y'all think did fall of the house of x drive you up a wall did it drive you up a wall or did you love it 
I'm curious what the general, I have no idea what the consensus is here, but obviously, you know, as my starting question, you know, kind of indicates like I, listen, I don't love this comic. I won't pretend to. It was effectively what I expected. Um, it did not throw me. It did not surprise me. It did not wow me in exciting ways. I think there's one thing that happened that is kind of interesting and we'll talk about it. Uh, it was, you know, it was kind of what I thought it'd be. But that's why I asked the question, well, what, what do I want? What is the best case? You know, what, what do I think the mission for Fall of the House of X should be? Because it feels, on the surface, tremendously straightforward. It feels like the simplest of games, which is the X-Men are trying to defeat an anti-mutant entity that has, that has them on the ropes. <laughs> right? Like, it is the simplest X-Men story that you can tell in a lot of ways. Right? It is mutant kind trying to overcome an anti-mutant organization. They are on the ropes. Now they will rally together and try to overtake that so that they are safe yet again on Earth. That's familiar. <laughs> that is not, that has nothing to do with what was cool about House and Powers. And what was so damn cool about that was how effectively it played the long game. How effectively it said, listen, mutants, like, with a sovereign nation on Earth, that's like step zero. That's nothing. Y'all are going to take that as shocking. That's not the game. The game is expansion throughout the cosmos. The game is mutant survival 10,000 years into the future. You know? Um, it is not survival from Orcus. They got Modoc running around with his little feet. Okay? They got a Dr. Stasis who's like the clown of Sinisters. Okay? This is not a serious threat. This is weak. Orcus isn't even like, like Magneto in his heyday. X-Men have dealt with better than this. You know? So what is Fall of the House of X? Is it just that? And I, I don't think it is. Okay? I think what I would like from Fall of the House of X is, I, and I think it's kind of built here. I think there are indications that it's happening. I think Duggan gets this. What I want from this book and what I hope the objective is, is for mutant kind to say, yeah, like striking back against Orcus, that's actually like pretty doable, <laughs> right? We've done stuff like that before. That will happen. What has to then happen is the reveal of Omega Sentinel and Nimrod's role in all this and the fact that Orcus to, you know, is unknowingly working at the behest of the, of the machines, right? Orcus is unknowingly working for the rise of the machines, the rise of the AI, right? The rise of these machine gods. Humans aren't the threat, you know? They are enabling Omega Sentinel's plans. Remember, from Inferno, Omega Sentinel has been sent back in time by a trickster titan, <laughs> whatever the hell that's going to mean, okay? And uh, has lived lifelines, a la Moira, that have told her, have shown her, mutants always win. She's back here to end that. The machines are what is interesting. Omega Sentinel and Nimrod are what is interesting. Now, while we're here, while we're here, we have to talk about Nimrod for a second. Nimrod goes to Krakoa, the island. 
that walks like a man. And Nimrod says, I'm going to kick your butt. And Krakoa hawks the biggest gum loogie at him. And Nimrod is undone instantly. <laughs> now, I, I laughed at this scene. Okay. Uh, Nimrod yells something like, he got me an amber. I'm done. <laughs> like, it's like, it's comedy. It's good. It's a good bit. And I thought the next page would be Nimrod busting out of that easily and, and declaring, you know, with his Nimrod sense of humor, no, of course that didn't work. You're screwed. Because Nimrod from House of X and Powers of Ten is the threat. Like that was all of Hickman's X-Men run. You know, like all of Hickman's X-Men run was Nimrod properly designed is like the sentinel threat to exterminate mutant kind. We have to stop the development of Nimrod. And they failed in that. And everything was kind of off the rails from that moment. If Krakoa can just gumball his ass (laughs) and he's stuck and he can't do anything, what the hell is that? And I feel like it is indicative of a problem I have with Duggan's Orcus. Now, I give Duggan a lot of credit as the only, not the only, but like the primary individual within the X office who has developed Orcus in any capacity, right? If Orcus is going to be the big bads, you need development of that organization. And that's, you know, I've talked about this on streams throughout the years. I think that's one of the things that Duggan's X-Men run has done well, is developing who is who makes up Orcus, what are, what's their deal, right? Developing the character of Phalong and, and not really Dr. Elia Gregor, um, but Dr. Stasis, you know, and whatever you think of them as individuals, there is at least work being done to try to make this organization make some sense and give them a little menace other than just being like, you know, this, this nebulous thing. Like they have to have a core. They have to have something that we can sink our teeth into. And most of that work comes from Duggan, honestly. Um, but there's this sense, I think, especially now that like, Orcus is kind of a bunch of clowns. And I don't think you want that to extend to Nimrod because if it extends to Nimrod, now you're like, (laughs) you're undoing all that hard work, frankly, of, of the menace and sort of the underlying darkness of the machines and, and this ultimate long-term battle. You know, so I, that scene was like, was very goofy. It was very goofy. And I don't think that was the right beat. I don't think that was the right beat at all. Uh, I, I, I'm seeing a few people agree. Pepto-Bismol says the Amber on Nimrod was such a disappointment, but I might be too big a dork. I mean, like, sure. But you know, who are these comics for? If not the big dorks, (laughs) like, (laughs) you know, same. I get that. Uh, yeah. And like, you know, we, now we got Krakoa, uh, jumping into the water. What is Krakoa's deal? That's an interesting mystery that Duggan has the capacity to answer here, right? In the present day. So like, like here are the interesting questions I think that can be, and the interesting beats that can occur within fall of the house of X. You can have what's Krakoa up to? Where's Doug? Is anyone still in the pit? Okay. Those questions still stand. Um, you can have Polaris going and recruiting the brood, which she does in this. What about the other galactic alliances? What about the Shi'ar? What about, hey, remember when uh, mutants financed 
the galaxy <laughs> with Mysterium? Like, like what favor has that accrued? You know, can we get any cosmic allies here to to settle these or Orcus difficulties? I feel like that's an option. Um, you've got the Omega Sentinel Nimrod. Actually, we're in charge. Drop potentially coming. And then you have, I think, the most interesting development of this issue, which was Charlie Ballgame, alone on his island, sitting there, saying no more repeatedly to himself and maybe the Mr. Sinister in his subconscious, and then all of a sudden revealing that Professor X is not lying as dormant as we thought. Classic Professor X fashion. He is not as out of sorts. He is not as defeated. He is not allowing himself to actually be removed from agency of this situation, which his resisting team has in hand, actually. He just doesn't know it. And he pulls Rasputin the fourth out. From the resisting X-Men team, he says it's time for our secret plan. Classic Professor X, the hubris of this man knows no bounds. I love it. Perfect beat. Very good. Very good to have Professor X with a secret plan saying, I alone, I alone can save mutant kind. That's classic, Charlie. Now, I shared this in the Road to the Fall of the House of X video that I put up on the channel today. I'll share it here again. Okay. Professor X and Rasputin the Fourth. he is definitely in my view, bringing her in and back to find Moira. I think Professor X, listen, he's chanting no more to himself. He th for all Professor X knows, he has lost terribly. The Krakoan dream has died. Even like best case, right? Even best case, they, they fight back against Orcus and, you know, they undo some of the damage and they prove some of the innocence and, and you know, a handful of people more and more begin to realize that, you know, Orcus was was in fact in the wrong. Even if that happens, maybe Krakoa as an island nation gets reinstated. Even if all that happens, none of this is going to plan. None of this is long-term. We're going to survive against the machines. Best case scenario, they get back Krakoa and they live on Earth for a bit before things go horribly wrong again, right? He knows that. He knows that, okay? So Professor X is looking at all that, and he's saying, what is my out? What is my out, okay? And it's to get Moira and to use, somehow re-gift her mutant ability and use it and reset the timeline and try again. I don't know why he wouldn't try that, you know? I don't know why he wouldn't try that. I think that's the way his brain would work. I think that's why he might be enristing Rasputin 4 into the play. What do you all think? What do you all think? What is Professor X trying? Now, the other wrinkle here that it could be is Professor X does have a sinister whispering in his ear, okay? Laid in his subconscious, back from the black room days. Shouts to Karen Gillen for pulling on that little continuity wrinkle left by Mike Carey. Sinister would be one to say, no, we need to get to Dominion status because that's the thing I failed at. I need you to get there somehow. Could that be why he's calling Rasputin 4, right? What do you think? 
What do you all think? I'm gonna take a little sip from Dave's Tinny Strikes again. I wanna hear your theories. Because the other thing here is like, all right, we got Gillen doing the Rise of the Powers of Ten, right? And that's going to be dealing with future stuff. It's going to be dealing with who's the Dominion. It's going to be dealing with the Sinisters. There's ample room for weaving a little Moira into that. But Moira's also in the present day. She's with Orcus. She is not in this issue. She is not in the fall of the House of X, number one. Okay. That's a character that Duggan could be, like, he could be the one to settle that score. That could be another purpose of the fall of the House of X, you know, giving it reason for being. Um, I feel like it fits. I feel like it fits. I'm, I'm curious, will this be the book that answers the Moira question, or will it be Gillen? Or do both of them just wash their hands of the whole sordid affair? <laughs> and just you know what, like what if Moira didn't show up? <laughs> that would almost that would almost be an impressive flex, even though it would uh it would lead to even more years of therapy for years truly. But hey, we're already in it. We're already in it. It's happening. Okay, so what do we got? What do we got in terms of theories, in terms of suggestions? It says here the Muzz says. Gene is going to play a big role. For sure. Gene Gray is going to be... Now, that that here's an interesting question. Is Gene going to play a bigger role in Rise of the Powers of Ten with Dominion and Phoenix stuff that Kieran Gillen has been owning? Or is she going to play a bigger role in The Fall of the House of X where you have wife guy Scott Summers just praising the moon about Gene and saying, you know, she'll be back. I've I've felt her die before. I'm not worried. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Cyclops has the coolest things to say about Gene, as all good wife guys should. Um, I expect the Phoenix and Gene to play more of a role in the rise of the powers of 10. But it's not like she's not mentioned, and it's not like Duggan hasn't been writing her in his X-Men teams. So that is an interesting, interesting question. Uh, Timothy says, I hope Banshee doesn't forget that Moira killed him and wore his skin. He should not fall back in love with her. <laughs> Good dating advice there from Timothy. That'd be a hard thing to forget, I feel like. I I feel like if my ex killed me, I could probably let that go. But if she killed me and wore my skin, I'm probably I'm probably not forgetting that. I feel like that crosses a line. Okay. JJ Tiffany says, maybe that sinister in Xavier's ear is the trickster titan slash dominion just playing the game setting himself up for Dominion by sending Rasputin for back in time. Maybe. Maybe. No one understands how Dominions work. Everything is in play <laughs> with, with Sinister being a Dominion. Absolutely everything. I have no idea how that's supposed to work. I, those are answers I want Gillen to be providing, not anyone else. Let's see. I think Moira will be super important in Rise, actually, says Chow Matos. Given R.B. Silva's teases in Instagram being all Moira, basically, there we go. There's a little social snooping for you. Okay, so if Silva's drawing Moira all the time, there's some Rise of the Powers of Ten. That's good. That's good. I mean, that's that's where it belongs. I think you don't want that, that question answered in Fall of the House of X. Um, either way, there are some questions to be answered. I don't know. What do you all want to see? out of Fall of the House of X. Do y'all feel like I'm on the right track in terms of, I, I want this Orcus situation to be done like next issue. 
Like, if it's five issues of X-Men versus Orcus, that for me is a tremendously underbaked use of the space and an underbaked use of the types of, of challenges and questions and, you know, uh, mysteries that this series could be diving into. You know, I think the, the, or the Orcus situation be, should be resolved next issue. And then you got three issues to play with the real challenge and the real problem. And, the, you know, the other question out of all this, too, and we're not there yet, but the other question out of all this, too, is by the time you get to fall of the House of X number five and rise of the powers of ten number five, you're going to be setting up a new landscape. You're going to be setting the stage for the X-Men reboot. We're not putting all the toys back in the box, at least as they were in House and Powers, I can't imagine. So how do you get there as well? You know? I mean, I think the dissolution of Krakoa is, is absolutely what Marvel is telling us is going to happen. They're not going back to Krakoa. I feel like in Rise, the challenge here is, okay, we got to get Sinister out of Dominionhood. We can't give the next, the next uh, uh, you know, group, the next draft class of X-Men creators a situation where King Sinister is the god of machines outside of space and time. <laughs> you cannot leave them in that scenario. Um, so you got to get Sinister out, okay? You get a little Gene Phoenix action. You get a little Moira X action. Are we actually resetting the timeline? Are, does, does anyone, does anyone have the guts, have the guts to actually use Moira's 11th life? Are we just not going to tap that? Is that just not going to come up again? Kind of hard to believe. And I've been saying that for, for years. And it's always been hard to believe. You know? So that's all got to come up. And then in, in Fall of the House of X, I think in the present day stuff, you get mutant kind off the island. You get a situation where Orcus isn't hunting them. And what? They all regroup at the mansion? You know? I mean, listen, this is where this is going. I know folks are like, oh, you know, we don't, we don't know it's going to be the mansion. It's like, it is going to be mansion-esque, <laughs> okay? I don't care if it's Westchester. I don't care if it's the literal mansion that Professor Charlie's family gave to him. Uh, but it's going to be mansion-esque. It is going to be a safe space that is not the entirety of mutant dumb under one roof. Although even that, without a lifeline reset, is like, how do you go from a sovereign, safe mutant nation to one guy's house? You know? These are tough questions to answer. I don't necessarily envy them. Of course, you don't actually have to get rid of Krakoa, but that's its own thing. So, all right. What do we got here in the chat? What thoughts might you have? Truth Teller says, while the Dominion exists outside of time, I think he couldn't interfere in a way that could prevent the events that trigger his ascension. So maybe Charlie Ballgame inadvertently plays into Enigma. And maybe. Maybe. Yeah, there are, there are some wrinkles that have been explored there. That there, Like, there are moments before Dominion has been achieved, right? That was kind of the thing with Mother Righteous, where it was like, you have to do this before the other Sinister gets to Dominion somehow. It's very timey-wimey. But it, there's, there's some sort of at least suggestion of logic to it. Justin says, no, they will never touch the 11th life. Cowards. Cowards among them if they don't touch the 11th life. 
How could you put that button in the book and not use it? Truly. <laughs> like, I don't expect it either. I don't necessarily expect it either. Um, but man, th- I mean, I think my understanding is, too, from Powers, that even if Moira, even if you got to, like, Rise of Powers, right? And, and you had a group, and they're like, Moira, the only way we can get rid of King Sinister is if you reset the timeline. I actually don't think that works. I think it had been established previously that once something had made it to Dominion, it would still be Dominion, even if Moira's mutant gift was executed. So I don't feel like that's a direct out, but maybe you could play with that a little bit. You know, that that would be, I think, the most likely scenario where they would actually play with that. Um, I could also see some sort of, like, compromise where you did a Moira reset, but you had a group, a core of, like, Magneto and Professor and Moira, right? You get the original three, and somehow they get come to the consensus of, like, we can okay, we're going to reset this, but we have to do everything exactly the same except blank will never start Krakoa, right? If they were like, we're going to make every decision the same, but we're never going to start Krakoa, and we have to just, you know, that's the only way to keep King Sinister out of Dominionhood or something like that, right? Then you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. Maybe sort of connect the circle a little bit. Something like that. Uh, what's going to happen with Planet Araka? Jean Grey has died again, says they could always do Planet Araka, but that would mean that Orcus won the war, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be pretty, I'd be pretty into, I mean, this, this was my suggestion originally too, was like, just put the mansion on Araka. And I'm like, pretty good with that direction. I don't expect that, but I do like it. Let's see. Warren says, if all four Sinisters were data collectors for OG to Sinister, does that mean he has something like a Moira engine to gather that info? Uh, sure. It's comics. It's Nathaniel Essex. He made four clones of himself with different suits of cards who survived centuries and saw, predicted that they would seek out Dominionhood. I fully believe he had whatever comic book science needed to accumulate that data as well. <laughs> I, am, I am very willing to be on board with however that needed to play out. Xavier says, to me, the trickster Titan is either Moira that found a mechanical way to reset the timeline. That'd be a nice wrinkle. Is Moira ascends to Titanhood, never achieves dominionhood, but ascends to Titanhood and then is the one who sends back Omega Sentinel and undoes herself. That's a nice sort of dark twist to the Moira saga. That I, I definitely hadn't considered that. And it kind of works now that she's robotic and, you know, basically a little evil robot. What else do we got? Um, okay. Okay. Any final questions? Any final thoughts? Get them in here. Again, I have an actual video up on the CBS channel. If you haven't watched it yet, it's the road to the fall of the House of X. I'll probably do a road to the rise of the powers of 10, and then we'll see how lively this event is. Um, it's going to go to, you know, so we got a fall, then we got a rise, back-to-back weeks. Then there's going to be a few links of kind of hodgepodge stuff. There are some tie-ins to this event. 
like Iron Man's gonna like all the Duggan written stuff is gonna tie in a little. You know, you got Invincible Iron Man, you got X Men. Um, I don't. I don't get the sense that any of the times are going to be like super critical until you get to Gillen's X-Men forever, you know? So I'll probably catalog the stuff on CBH, but like, I'm not like holding my breath that these times are going to rip, <laughs> you know, or anything. Um, but yeah, get your questions. Let's hear any final thoughts on what you have to say. My hottest takes today are, I'm just, I'm very, I'm very uh, calm about fall of the house of X. Because I knew to be, you know, my expectations were not, were not soaring. Um, I think it is a fine comic. I think it, it raises some interesting questions about what this book even can be and where it can go. I think the ending with Polaris and Brew is exciting. I think Professor X having his own plan is exciting. I think, um, yeah, that's, those are probably it. I think Omega, I think Cyclops, that opening sequence where Cyclops is having his conversation with Aaliyah Gregor and Omega Sentinel. And he said, I forget what exactly he asks, but he's like, you know, how do you sleep at night? Or it's not that, but it's some question. And Dr. Aaliyah Gregor answers. And, uh, and Cyclops is like, I wasn't talking to you. There's a sense of Cyclops kind of knowing Omega Sentinel is up to more than meets the eye, you know? And I think that's interesting. So I think there's potential. I think there's plenty of potential, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm here for Rise of the Powers 10. Um, that's why I'm still excited. And I'm real excited about that. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. All right. One sip. We'll check questions and we'll finish. You know, we talked about this um, back when it happened in Inferno. But I still, maybe I've just forgotten. Maybe I knew at the time. Why, why don't Cable... And Bishop have more of a role here. Like Cable is able to refer to this as the first Krakoan age. You know, that language has been used a couple of times. Um, Omega Sentinel has been sent back in time and able to influence things. Why, why can't Cable and Bishop be more relevant to this story? Do we know? Is it all just like that would complicate things? I feel like there was an answer that I was willing to accept. But now I'm thinking about it and I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I cannot remember for the life of me. Um... Ooh, I know it's an interesting question here. What role would Apocalypse play in Dominion, considering he is the one that initially gave Sinister advanced technology after his transformation? <sighs> well, I don't know that that would influence anything, but the role of Apocalypse and Genesis and all of Araco in this is still pretty unclear to me. It feels like that stuff that's going to come out in the Resurrection of Magneto book by Al Ewing. You know, um, which is another wrinkle in all of this, too, is like we do have an Al Ewing miniseries here. How big is that going to be? Right. How, how much is that going to soak into what's happening in Fall and Rise? Because if, if like nobody does a better job of tying into big ideas and collaborating with events than Al Ewing, you know, nobody. So that's that's an interesting question. I feel like Resurrection of Magneto might, because it, it feels like it's this simple thing, right? It feels like, okay, this is the book that brings Magneto back. But it's like, you don't need four issues and and like ownership of Storm and all of Araco and Apocalypse to make that happen. Um, so I, I hope that book is secretly more tied into all this than maybe the solicits let on. That would be a good thing for all of us, for sure. JTR asks, how do you see Brevort's era starting? Will it be a big seller and have as many books come out soon? Okay, so big picture, 
here's how this is going to happen. It's going to launch with like five books that have some big names attached that sound very exciting. There's going to be about three months of big excitement, and then everybody's kind of going to drift back into their patterns of if you're an X-Men head, you're keeping up and you're curious. If you weren't, you're probably checking back out. And it's going to kind of fall back, I think, into the routine of like like early Bendis era, all new X-Men. There was some hype. It was during a good period in Marvel, in Marvel now. Um, all new X-Men, you know, had some steam for a bit. I think a lot of the books are going to kind of feel like that. I think without, I mean, the thing about House and Powers is just like, it is, it is an absurd standard to try to hold yourself to. That level of enthusiasm and excellence, like that's, that's unachievable. You have, like everything has to go right, you know? Um, so I think it'll, I think when it launches, it'll be like, you know, it, it's the same, it's the same with any renumbering. It's going to look good at first, you know? And I do think like people are ready for a change. I saw a suggestion today, and I don't know if there's, if this is proven or what, but that Greg Capullo has drawn Wolverine interiors. Now, the last time this was teased was like Greg Capullo coming to Marvel. And then he did like one Wolverine cover. So like, are these interiors for like a Wolverine black and white issue? Is he going to be the interior artist on Wolverine? Because then everyone is just going to pencil Scott Snyder in as the art, as the writer, which I mean, that's a big get. If you got Scott Snyder and Craig Gapula on, on Wolverine, I got to sit here and pretend I'm not reading that, you know, definitely be curious. But I mean, yeah, I think a lot of the, the Brewbird era, it is like an editor is not a selling point for anyone in the superhero market, you know, only the most inside baseball fans are even talking about it. Most people in superhero fandom are just yelling abstractly about the concept of editors, <laughs> you know, and what they perceive them to be, which is a problem, which is of course not the reality, I don't think. Um, but I mean, it's, it is the casting, you know, the draft class is, you know, I come back to it, right? The Dawn of X draft class, now that we have the years to look back, was not very good. And I do think it's a thing that if that had been stronger and you would hit more on those picks, the Krakoa era, you know, looked pretty different. It's got a different trajectory. And, and I mean, that's going to be Brevoort's challenge here is who do you cast in all these roles for all these books, you know? If you can pull in big names, but that are also contemporary, you know, and Snyder and Caplo are like, it's kind of hard to imagine them wanting to come in and do a Wolverine. But it's also kind of makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a way that you could be looking at this era and looking at the names and be like, oh, holy crap. You know, Revort's pulling off like the most interesting launch. But there's also a version of this that is like, the most disgusting thing you've ever looked at, <laughs> you know, and uh, it, we'll see. I, I again, I've I've tried to keep a level head about the change in editor, you know, and what that means. Um, I, I think more than anything, it's kind of just 
at the Krakoa era is ending. It's a good time for a transition. This is not a challenge this particular individual has taken on. I find Brewworks newsletters very interesting. Um, they're, they're a pretty transparent window into about as much as you can get in the inside baseball, kind of how Marvel Comics is operated. And there's a lot of like opinions and, and just kind of feedback and stuff that I really appreciate in there. Um, even as I may be critical of the output, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like Tom Brevoort doesn't know how to flip and be an editor of Marvel Comics. <laughs> like, like literally nobody knows more, you know? Um, so does he, is he still throwing his fastball? And can he pull off an X-Men relaunch after the biggest X-Men event of all time? That is not a challenge you throw lightly at someone. I don't think. It's going to be a hard thing to do. I mean, that, that, I don't know. For me, it's like, unless that lineup of creators is like, knock your socks off, Marvel is committing to this venture and paying creators what they're worth, which are problems that, extend beyond Brevoort's capacity or, or responsibility in a lot of ways, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to look at it and be like, you know, I bet we're kind of, we're taking some steps back here. It's hard not to think it's that, but that doesn't mean you will not like, you will have probably like two very good comics that come out of this, like this launch. It's just how it goes. Every time there's a new X era, even during the worst eras, there are good books. Think about like the I, I think the X Men Blue X Men Gold era sucks. Okay, I was barely reading those comics because I jumped out because I thought they were so boring. I've talked about this before. I was not a regular X Men reader, huge X Men fan obviously, but I was not a regular X Men reader of comics like from like mid Bendis until like House and Powers, right? But I'd always check back in, and even during the Golden uh, Blue eras, you had Christina Strain writing a great Generation X book, right? St- good comics find a way. You know, it's like life in that way, as, as our friend Jeff Goldblum would say. All right, final break. Questions, thoughts, get them in. Justin says, Caplo would be dope. Honestly, just make him the writer. Does Caplo have, have writer chops? Is that something he's done? Sometimes that works. Wonders. But sometimes it's a disaster. It's hard to know. Um, you know, Daniel Warren Johnson can pull that off, certainly. Man, throw me a throw me a Daniel Warren Johnson's X Force. Come on, let's get let's get in the mix, Marvel. You're Marvel. Stop acting like you're like a D three college team. Anyway, oh yeah, you had the Tom Taylor X Men Red. A lot of people love that. Good comics find a way. Okay, Mister Berlin asks: Instead of reading the House and Powers books one by one, should I just read Marvel's newest release? of the entire series in chronological order. Uh, what? <laughs> I'm not sure that makes total sense, but I think what you're asking is for the House of X and Powers of 10 reading order? Just uh, Here's what I would recommend. Google Comic Book Herald House of X reading order. Follow that list. That's what I would recommend. Let's see... Ooh, we got a we got an X-Men off here in the comments. All right. Who's been reading X-Men the longest? You win a no prize today. Angel says I've been reading X-Men since 1994. Xavier says I think it started in 1985. 1985 is our current leader. That is before I was born, Xavier. You've got me beat, but only barely. 
see, I started reading X-Men comics uh, in 2010, <laughs> probably, uh, is when I started reading like Age of Apocalypse. Would you believe that? Okay, that might be inaccurate. I was going to say Age of Apocalypse was my first X-Men comics. It was either that or the essential Claremont stuff. You know, my first X-Men experiences were X-Men 97, for sure. Um, but yeah, congratulations on your no prize, Xavier. Oh, Banksy says started reading in the 1800s, circa the dawn of OG Nathaniel Essex and uh, Lil Boy Logan. Joshua says I started in 1994 with the Phalanx Covenant. Warren says started reading around Fatal Attractions. I was having some fatal attractions in college when I started reading Age of Apocalypse. Those things did coincide for me as well, but I suspect we mean something different. All right. I did. I went all the way back, like pretty much originally. Like I had, like my, my foray into actually reading Marvel comics was diving headfirst into black and white essential collections. It was kind of just like, like my dad had one for Iron Man and then I was just like, this is like the cheapest because you could get those for like 20 bucks and it was like, you know, 250 or 300 pages of comics or whatever. And this is like, like I didn't even know Marvel Unlimited existed at this point. I probably didn't even have these comics yet in the very early days. And, uh, you know, it was either that or you could buy each individual trade, but that was, you know, expensive and a quest. So yeah, I'd read those black and white essentials. And I started with the Claremont stuff. And I was shocked to be reading that and be like, oh, man, this is just like the animated series. They ripped off so much stuff from the animated series. <laughs> and uh, and then I also was like, oh, obviously, I have to read this thing called Age of Apocalypse because I always love those Apocalypse um, uh, uh, episodes in X-Men the animated series. And I, I dove into that. And I mean, I don't know. A lot of people are like, that's insane. And it was, but it was also a blast. <laughs> like I that's kind of my thing with comic Herald is like I listen I love the experience of reading things in the proper order and I like making that you know having made that more accessible for for comics fans over the past decade um but I also like the experience of just being thrown into a world and trying to piece together those dots of how these characters connect and how this continuity makes sense and how character you might know like Juggernaut is like, oh, he's a good guy at this point in time. Apparently that happens. You know, I, I still, I mean, if I was before, I still remember reading the essential Spider-Man stuff by Stanley and Steve Ditko. And I'm reading that wondering like, oh, I wonder when Venom shows up, you know, <laughs> like having no idea. We're talking three decades later. I didn't know that at the time. You know, I thought all this stuff just kind of happened in the first, like, you know, like one small story. And then you realize the depth of it and how long it goes. And it's, you know, it's kind of exciting. That's why I like comics. Anyway, let's see. We got a 1967 in the chat. Shouts to Meek D. Bradley or Mike. Apologies if I got that wrong. Potato Evolution started mid-2023. I think that's our newest comer. Well done. Well done. Open Mike Eagle, Muir Island Saga. Those are your first X-Men comics? That's a wild place to start. So you've known... Mike, you've known how hot Moira can be since you were young. <laughs> Maybe too young. I don't know. 
<laughs> That's a wild place to start. Like, end of Claremont. Mira Allensock is mildly underrated. That stuff's pretty crazy. Y'all remember when Moira had a fight club in a coliseum on Mira Island because Shadow King was possessing everybody? Not enough people talk about that. Definitely not. All right, I think 1967 is going to be our winner. That's tough to beat. 1967. Is that is that Neil Adams? Or are we, are we pre-Neil Adams? Like, we're post-Lee Kirby because they start in 64. But are we pre-Neil Adams? Good stuff. All right, we got to do this more often. This is a good, <laughs> it's a good game for me, <laughs> for me to just sit and watch, which is very fun. A lot of 80s. A lot of 1980s in here. Oh, we got another 1991 Muir Island Shadow King saga. Nice. That makes actually that makes a lot of sense. Although, well, it doesn't though, because is that so? Is that hype for like Jim Lee coming to X Men, or has that not even started yet? Because 91 is when is when Claremont and Lee X Men launches, right? Maybe that's the end of that year. Xavier says 1967 is the very beginning. Is it? I mean, not according to my. My Marvelous Year. It's not. But here's a, here's a dirty secret about My Marvelous Year, the podcast Marine Club. We go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. Dirty secret is, you know, we order everything by, like, comics that came out in a certain year, right? So when we start, it's like the year is 1962, and you talk about the Marvel Comics that came out in 1962. The dirty secret of My Marvelous Year is I don't actually know that they came out in 1962 because – the difference between publication date and release date has confounded the hell out of me for all of my life, and I do not care to understand it. <laughs> so there is always a chance that the stuff that I'm saying came out a certain year actually just has like, like that year's date on its cover, but was actually released in stores you know, two months later. Or something like that. I don't know. Those are always weird. Does it matter? No. But it's the dirtiest secret of my world here by far. All right. We got to wrap this puppy up. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Appreciate you all being here. Uh, this should be fun. I think doing the fall, doing the rise. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be here at Concluding Career Color. I think it's going to be a good time. We're going to be here every week. Comics are interesting. Definitely going to be here next week with the rise of the powers of 10. Uh, you know, support CBH and all that stuff and make sure you get these. Somebody somebody was chatting me that uh, they couldn't find the live streams after the fact. It bugged me in the comments or something if that's happening to you too. I try to make it more accessible, but if people can't find them, that's a problem. So I want to make them accessible. Thanks everybody for listening. And as always, enjoy the comics.